0: Welcome to Democracy Rules, a podcast series that focuses on the me in democracy and how the idea of the self defines and is defined by the democratic structures within which we function.
1: Art is the refuge of a world made wary by the clash of ambitions, the clash of civilizations. It is a safe space where one comes to rest. But how does art transform into a space of healing and metamorphosis? How does it facilitate political and social harmony? Can art converge with public policy to re-envision, recreate and realign the relationship of the individual and the collective? Welcome to Democracy Rules, the podcast where we explore democracy inside out. This is Prakar Bharatiya, a social entrepreneur and co-founder of the Indian School of Democracy and your host for the podcast. This podcast is part of an effort to connect hearts across the country and facilitate the work of truth and reconciliation to discuss and strengthen democratic structures. In this episode, we'll be in conversation with Dr. Anandana Kapoor, a filmmaker, educator, and the founder director of Cinemad India, which focuses on media literacy and digital storytelling. A keen follower of intersection of tech, art, and public interest, her recent work seeks to bridge the digital divide minted art Dr. Kapoor has served on the jury at the Japan Prize, Brix Italia, Meena, and Input. She's an alumna of Harvard Kennedy School, where she helped found the school's first student-run anti-racism policy journal and is currently a fellow at the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation at Harvard University. The intersection of tech, art, and public policy creates a vibrant and interesting space for opening up diverse and difficult conversation and bridging the gap between conflicting ideologies. In today's conversation, we shall explore with Dr. Kapoor the role that art plays in building bridges and upholding democracy.
0: Uh, So welcome, Dr. Kapoor, on our podcast, Democracy Rules.
2: Thank you so much. And Anandana is just fine as well in the spirit of being democratic and accessible.
0: (laughs) So thank you, Anandana, for joining from U.S. and I'm in India. In general, democracy is often considered synonymous with freedom of expression. It is in fact needed to support the marketplace of ideas to encourage multiple points of views and build an informed consensus. So what do you think, what is the role of art in all this demonstrating, deliberating upon and celebrating democratic ideals. Well, I think what
2: it does is that it uh, allows us to not just reflect on who we are, but who we can be. And that I think is the basis of all democratic conversation or confabulation. And I think it also gives us the opportunity to organize. So for me, art is not just an artifact, art is not just a process, but it's also a means to organize people. And uh, allow them to sort of imagine, reimagine, and uh, sometimes even sit with uncomfortable questions and emotions. And we find that you know the world today is data driven, but people are driven by art. They're not driven by data. Uh, numbers and statistics can shock us, can uh, give us insight, but uh, what makes people take up the decisions that they do, uh, join the movements that they do, uh, or even you know stand up for very difficult truths? Uh, I think somewhere that requires us to be a little vulnerable uh, to look at things beyond what is obvious and art therefore becomes uh, both the medium as well as the message in that sense uh, for this kind of uh, democratic underpinnings you know i also feel that uh, art is in many ways also a reflection of culture and culture changes people and times culture changes governance structures and uh, art is a very important component of it uh, and it's a uh, very important cog in the larger view. So that's how I see uh, art being essential to democracy. Thank you
0: for sharing that. 10 years back, uh, art for me was something which I would always feel that I don't connect with. And my wife is an artist, she's a potter and she also does a lot of watercolour art and sketching. And I think through her, my lens of seeing art has become very different. And then she would sometimes force me on a Sunday that, why don't you just pick colors and do whatever you feel like. And uh, what I realized in this process is that now in our programs, we've started using dance movement therapy. we started using very different forms of expression different forms of body movement and now I think in these times when I think, uh, at least I feel that uh, post-Covid, the entire world is going through a very different kind of mental stress because of what has happened. And in this time, getting in touch Mm -hmm. with art or understanding the way that I can express, I think is very helpful. But what was your point wherein you realized, okay, art is my thing. I want to use art as a medium of expression for my personal life.
2: Not a single day has gone by since I joined Harvard when I did the public policy program that somebody or the other would ask me what is a filmmaker doing in a public school and a public policy school of that. So the fact is that we need a seat at the table. I've made several films, some communicating health behaviors, some looking at behavioral change in terms of best practices safety, women's rights, or I've looked at the policy issues and how they haven't really worked out on ground. My last film up for the University of Chicago was on public policy in Bihar and how electricity issues are being sorted. And each time I would find that there is a lot of anecdotal evidence that a creative can unearth, that policymakers and leaders necessarily don't pay attention to. And I felt that, you know, I would like to understand the language of the policymaker, try to see what is the bureaucratic really speaking and thinking and reading and how can I as a creative find a seat at the table and convey to them points of view, ideas, sentiments that I'm able to tap into given my practice. And also to see that I feel that an entrepreneurial focus is very important for all creatives. The world is changing, artificial intelligence is disrupting uh, not just how humans interact with machines, but how we co-create with machines. There will be a time when a lot of what I'm doing and you are doing will be redundant and we'll have to find new ways to invent ourselves. So what is this conversation? How can we participate in it? How can we bring in very important components such as making AI ethical or looking at new technologies and talking about the participation gap because I believe that the next battle lines of democratic you know, action are the digital frontiers, right? And so how do we sort of bring in this rich perspective and at the same time be able to build solutions? So being in the policy school, I think I've had the privilege of uh, talking to so many people. The Kennedy School has a wide variety of people from different profession. It was very exciting to me as a filmmaker, because there are so many stories, there are so many uh, interesting personalities and images that emerge from it. It's a treasure trove and I'm sure something will emerge from that experience in itself at the personal level. But I also feel like it's it's given me some teeth in terms of uh, being able to approach people and talk of what I think the focus should be. And even when the pandemic has broken out, as you'd referenced earlier, uh, with volunteers across the country, we had made COVID videos in 23 languages, even before formally the state had started doing it. Which means that we have a lot of talent, a lot of commitment, and there have to be ways in which we can formalize and increase the outreach of things like that. And so therefore, you know, I find myself deliberating on what it means to be an artist in such times. And therefore, I found this as a means to sort of think that through, to learn, to grow, to challenge myself, to sit in classes where we spoke purely numerical languages to sit in conversations where the filmmaker or the artist is the least important person because those who are in power, who are elected representatives or bureaucrats uh, yield so much influence. They haven't even imagined the idea of somebody who is a quote-unquote not in the formal hierarchy sitting at the table. So it's been very, very interesting and enriching. And it is all towards trying to reflect on how can I use my practice and make it more sustainable in a way that more people can participate in it more people can benefit from it and I can hand over rather than hold on.
0: So you are at Harvard and uh, in my experience uh, of like US University and especially this uh, liberal university is that a lot of intolerance exists within the campus as well. You'll see there will be factions who are, if you talk about US, there will be Republic faction, there will be Democrat faction. How do you see yourself as bridging the gap? Because I think one of the important things for art is also to enable dialogue, enable challenging thoughts to either side, not just to one side wherein I belong or whatever my ideology is, but how do we enable a new thought process in someone who is not seeing something good in the other? Uh, So how are you using this uh, medium or are you using this medium at your place at Kennedy School to enable more dialogue or at least reduce intolerance?
2: yeah yeah no thank you that's a great question Uh, there's a phrase that I remember Kofi Annan had uh, sort of organized a conference and it was about unlearning intolerance. And I think that that's precisely the role of art today in a more thought out and proactive manner. So I would not say that it's just me. I think uh, there there is a community here of academics and artists and even policy makers and leaders who are really interested in trying to see how we stop talking only within our echo chambers. And I think that when you talk about how is it that I am doing things, one is of course, you know, the opportunity to be part of the founding team of the Anti-Racism Policy Journal at the Harvard Kennedy School. I also was able to create some photographic work I call it the body of forensics, where I make the argument that we don't necessarily have to talk about rights for communities such as the Blacks or Colored or Asians, etc. Uh, by reinventing, but we actually need to reimagine. And that if we look at the history of images, if we look at the kind of poetry, the kind of cinema that has pre-existed and amalgamated, curated interestingly, we will be able to look at how there are realities and histories that we have ignored and allow people to acknowledge, sit with them and communicate with each other. So part of it is to make art, to invite people in the community to look at it and, and openly talk of what they think. The artist therefore has to be very patient and accepting of all kinds of perspectives and uh, at the same time also sitting with communities and saying how are you collecting you know your evidence how are you able to sort of participate in conversations do we need to create art in the interim does that make people sit together and agree on an issue do we need to create art as a permanent installation so that people can keep referring to it or do we need to make art which is dynamic and disruptive which is probably digital where people can keep adding things to it and and those are you know the kind of formal choices that I can propose as an artist in these situations and then we can build up from it. And fortunately, you know, at the Ash Centre, we are looking at some conversations about not just reimagining the university, but also trying to look at how to build public trust, uh, particularly with the Black community and uh, also mothers who have seen their sons lost through uh, police violence. So, you know, there is, there is a plethora of things that we can pick up and uh, the idea is not to look at art as a band-aid but really to look at it as a form of process of thinking through.
0: Art also, I think, enables us to go much more deeper into some unprocessed emotion and things that we have not uh, sometimes don't realize about ourselves. But I think it has helped me at least in the past uh, couple of years, because I think two, three years before I was a distant viewer of art, but now I've tried to engage more deeply and different forms of art. So I think I've I've been able to process my own emotion to get in touch with, okay, is this stress, there's a back pain somewhere, And just realizing that this is not because of something physical, but it is because of the emotional thing that is happening within me, in the society. And I feel it's a very powerful tool for a lot of young people, especially if you talk about young people a lot of more uh, people in 20s and 30s to get in touch with their emotion. But how do we do that at maybe a little more larger scale? How do we take this? to more young people so that they can get in touch with themselves because until unless we don't acknowledge what's happening inside, we'll not move towards doing something about it. So how do you see that we can move on that path?
2: I think the first thing is to demystify art. It's not all pretty. It's very, very difficult and competitive. In a world of virality, what is quality art in itself is debatable. And we are not having the kind of conversations we should. It's not a debate where we are able to listen to the other party and come up with rebuttals that are concrete and useful. So I think the first thing is to say that art is not going to save you. Art is probably going to help you find means through which you can engage, organize, maybe find catharsis like you mentioned, uh maybe even address something which is psychosomatic emotional but that's personal art requires the youth to sort of think of if it's a if, if they know of artists local artists who are they supporting and why are they consuming from big companies or are they going to the local artisans? Are they looking at handmade? Are they looking at uh, consuming certain content which is made by people who are located within the country? What about protest songs? What is our taste? So the first thing is to try and look around yourself and look at people who are creative and artistic and to see how you can bring them to a community so it's not so complex. Can you speak to the RWA if you live in a you know neighborhood which has a community hall, invite people to come and talk about their culture, present their art, have conversations on why certain art works or doesn't work? The second thing is that look at and demand uh, the opportunity to use art where you are. So, for example, it's not to say that uh, engineering has not saved the world from bridges to finding solutions to how to deliver medication. Engineering is the basis of a lot of interesting things. But at the same time, why can an engineer not be encouraged to pursue you know, the dismantling of things? rethinking things. I was famously engaged in a debate with a friend of mine who's an engineer from one of the IITs and he was talking about how his curriculum on postmodernism was a complete waste of time. And I kept telling him that from my perspective, postmodernism was a perfect antidote to the certitude of an engineer because it says that there is no objective truth. It pushes you to be subjective and art allows you to do that. But if I can give you that provocation where I say that your solution, which may be perfect and may be verifiable, may be valid across various situations may completely break down when it comes to context. Art provides that context, which is why, for instance, when I was doing the research for my firm and I went to the villages of Bihar, they kept talking about Asli Bijli, which is real electricity, versus nakli Bijli, which is fake electricity. These are literal translations. To them, solar energy is nakli Bidjli because they have waited for entire generations for electricity to come to them through the pole and the wires. So their resistance to any idea of converting to green energy comes from years of deprivation. Now that context is so critical because if you're going to shove the technology down their throats, they're going to resist. Secondly, does this kind of energy solution address their needs in terms of water pumps needing to sort of you know charge devices, devices which are industrial scale, etc., etc., for the kind of agricultural change you want to see? And so engineering will tell you that the solar energy is perfect, but art will tell you But it's not, and you probably need to come up with different ways in which to communicate. Maybe you need to rethink it. And that's where, you know, we need to be able to kind of make it all come together. And the youth can do this by then looking at what exists, looking at the artistic solutions that are around them. To look at art not just as an artifact, it's not a dance, it's not just poetry, pottery, painting. It's actually a process. I would say that we should probably say art, culture and creativity are kind of like, you know, together. They're in one package and using that package, employing it is helpful. And of course you know um our country needs more satire i think you know the ability to laugh at ourselves but also to really think and say hey that probably is a point mm-hmm. of improvement which is important so learning to laugh at ourselves so also be discerning audiences that's the last thing i would say that if you can be creative look yeah. at existing solutions involve people think out of the box sometimes you don't have to do anything new if you like something somewhere bring it to where you are you know you're if you are youth, then you can certainly make those chances happen for you because you're, you can afford to fail. And and artists sometimes don't want to admit they've failed. Yeah. So don't be that that person, but certainly try and see how you can invent and look at things and be a discerning audience. Ask questions, laugh at yourself, don't get so angry, uh, don't follow outrage, don't follow the angriest voices even in art follow the voices which are talking of listening with the other. And I can also say the charm of that for you as an educator, I myself feel like you know the formal spaces that we teach in, they come with a baggage of following protocol uh, without giving flexibility to question the protocol. So I too believe that we need healthy doses of rebellion and art is the perfect mantle for that. Uh, i was also once advised uh, because the practice of the creative arts can be very sexist very patriarchal as well there are lots of questions about you know even me too that talk of how art in itself needs to look at whether it is able to live up to the ideals that it espouses and but the one thing that the creative can get away with is uh, being a little crazy and uh, you know i think that's a huge privilege which is why uh, my label is known as cinemad because we can afford to be a little mad we need that little dose of not being mainstream
0: so moving forward for our listeners who are tuned into this uh, conversation how can people support artists and creators as they work to support towards a democratic society i
2: think it's by giving them a seat at the table to begin with Uh, when you are maybe organizing a conversation uh, a budgetary choice looking at people who you want to advise you involve them again secondly be a more mature and uh, involved audience see if you can patronize people you can you know support people and uh, I think finally it's also a question of trying to sort of help define the future for the creative. Can you conceive of it as an entrepreneur, how a creative could be part of your team and not just in terms of the transactional sense of they'll make your website or they'll design your communication, but can they really stick with you as part of leadership and ask you uncomfortable questions about design, about humans, about co-creation, about surrendering power, about sharing power? And I think that sometimes comes naturally to the creative process because, like I said, at least for me, my crew, uh, the people that I work with, they have so many varied points of view and so many kinds of talents that they bring to the table that you have to work at harmonizing. And and I think that, you know, inviting that ethic into your work can be very helpful. And... uh, Finally, you know, those who put out calls for crowdsourced work, support them. Uh, it's not about sharing a video; it's about asking questions, payback, engage, and uh, don't necessarily think of art as a as an endpoint. It, it's really the beginning.
0: Um, I think some six seven years back, I visited this uh, village in mm-hmm. Kutch area, and Kutch is uh, like fabulous when it comes to art, and all Kutch has a very rich thriving culture and that village was uh, formed oh, after yeah. the 2002 earthquake and uh, that, that the, you know, the village is Ganji Gandhi Nukao and I think to enter that village, it seems like every household very different, very expressive and uh, I think that also made me see something like that and back in Delhi, this Katputli colony, uh, you might have heard or for, for our listeners, Katputli colony is a place in Delhi wherein uh, artists from across the country came together, there are around 2500 families who live there in a camp, We have camp and I think they'll get the colony sort of back. But uh, that area of like one square kilometer represents everything, like different forms of art from a Madhubani painter to a guitarist, so many different kinds of folk art, Katputli uh, and uh, how do we support them and I often like visit there and I One thing that comes to me is seeing the life of the people over there. There are people over there who would have visited some 50 countries represented India. But when they come back, they come back in their slum only. So basic resources are not there. So like you rightly said, how do we support these kind of places, these kind of initiatives? I think that's one big question that comes to me.
2: Um, In fact, I'm very glad you brought that up um, because uh, one of the things that I'm currently working on is trying to look at how artisans can have uh, a share in Web3. And this question sometimes leads people to say, oh, it's too early for them because they're just catching up with web one, web two. Uh, They're just about setting up Instagram accounts. And my whole point is when we talk of trying to bridge the participation gap because digital skills are deciding whether or not you can even participate in democracy, right? Can you access your bank account? Can you make transactions? Can you register for uh, a voter ID card? All of it is digital, right? It requires a minimum level of media literacy, a minimum level of digital literacy. But when it comes to thinking of how they can participate, we only want them to be stakeholders. I'm trying to say how do they become shareholders? How do they sort of look at how we are constructing their narrative for the world? Like you rightly said, they travel the world, their art is consumed, their products are consumed, our handmade artifacts are appreciated, but they continue to live in poverty. And that can only be changed if we learn to respect who we are. And so when we're talking about democracies, I also feel that it's so easy to say that certain democratic models are better than the other. But you make your democracies. How much are you participating and asking questions? Are you an armchair revolutionary? And do you necessarily have to make grand gestures to make an impact? Uh, Can you not do this at the level of your street? Can you not do this at the level of your household? So there are so many things that can be done. And if we want to look at artisans in India, the census says that there are roughly 6 to 7 million artisans. Unofficially, it is estimated there are 200 million artisans in our country. And we're looking at people who have indigenous knowledge, people who have sustainable knowledge, work with local materials, have intergenerational stories, are repositories of not just histories, but also of songs, of medicines, of lifestyle, and yet we do not acknowledge who they are and what they give. And that in itself is, I think, one of our biggest losses. Of course, there's tremendous work that is now being done by various people, particularly the next generation is stepping up and uh, so many universities in India are taking up projects and overseas as well to talk of how artists and artisans can be incorporated, not just as categories or as data points, but actually invited as individuals and communities and people with innovative ideas. And and that's how we can change the conversation by not being apologetic for who we are and at the various stages that we are at. See, the way the West progressed is by having modernity and modernism and standardization. We are not standardized. So we need to rethink how we engage with our notions of accomplishment, uh, so we do not compromise on human rights, on fair trade, on rights of workers, but at the same time we can say that you know we have to need to have a new paradigm. In fact, uh, with the uh, colleagues uh, at 200 million artisans, Priya and Aparna, I came up with a model known as the new formal But I'm saying that we don't have the informal, we don't have the formal, but we have a new formal which combines the best of both and that is perhaps the best space for the artisans to be. Where we recognize that there will be diversity and and variation, but at the same time we try and sort of uh, give them opportunity to build and access things. So we need new language also, not just new visuals. And, And I think that's the way to sort of support them.
0: So I think something unique about India is also that India is not a monoculture country. It's a very diverse country, and I think uh, with diversity comes different culture, and different cultures are restored in forms of different art. The more we don't support these art forms of different kinds, we're also letting the culture of that of those people die. And I think that's why it's become important to just sustain the diversity of the country is to support those uh, artists. So in, during the pandemic, uh, when we were talking about Web three. Some people from Katputli Colony started organising some shows on Zoom and people can contribute because two years of pandemic, largely everything was shut down. So for them, livelihood took an extreme shot. So I think that yeah. So things were tried, but I think it, again, it's not so popular. So it was difficult to get people on Zoom also. So I think that's one thing. Second is how do you see like this uh, digital virtual, this whole media impact? How does it influence on everyday political culture, and uh, what can we do to make it stronger? One is the political side of it, second is the cultural side of it. How does art brings that together?
2: So um, before I move on to answer that, I was just I just wanted to say that I spent some part of my childhood in Kutch and uh, I have uh, seen. Artists grow into grandmasters, some national awardees, I used to spend time in the villages with them thanks to my mother and father and pick threads and watch them build things together. So I think one is the privilege of, you know, looking at where you are and uh, reaching out to people who already exist. And there, are, Delhi has no dearth of people who are powerful, well connected and can be considered as well. So, as far as the Kathutli colony is concerned or other kinds of, you know, artist collectives and artisan spaces are concerned, we need the cultural change to be in us in terms of how our relationship with them is. Not reducing them just to utility. And once we change that concept of utility, then, you know, for me, this is like how I, I would segue into the next question that you're asking, which is political culture. Which is, can we not look at art artisans and therefore by extension people who connect with them are part of their lives not reducing all of this to utilitarian access the moment we start doing that we stop the ability to grow, converse and uh, maybe even bring about change.
0: Or we, we stop valuing the person also, if you make it very everything has a price tag, then we don't see the, the artist, I and mean, we just see the art form which is very transactional in nature. So, The idea is also to see the person and give the person their complete yeah. dignity because then only it will become wholesome. Yeah. So yeah, just add on to what you were saying.
2: Thank you. No, and that is my whole point about political culture as well. Today, we, when, a lot of the times when we look at how the theatre of politics plays out, it is a question of numbers, it is a question of vote buying, it's a question of, you know, in, in many ways, uh, it's a spectatorial, gladiatorial metaphor. It's not a metaphor of sitting, listening, making a change. And I think that that requires us to also look at what the virtual or the digital is doing to us uh, in the real. We have a culture of anger. Uh, who is most outraged is most able to direct the mob. And uh, no matter how we pride ourselves in our uh, ability to think and be independent, we're not. Algorithms amplify certain kinds of voices. We listen to only a few of them. And then that's how we end up losing ground so I say that you know we need to have multiple cultures of art as well not just art which is online and supported and promoted by big tech but also low-tech art community-based work and uh, together with the multiplicity we can make a change but the question is cancel culture versus absolute conservatism why these polar opposites what lies in between and uh, you know I sometimes refer to myself as Nehru's uh, wilted roads Because I feel like the space to say, hey, can I talk to you, if I do it to people around me, uh, I realize that it's it's as small and narrow or as wide as me. There's not a space to do that. There's no space to sit in the middle. Because suddenly being in the middle is problematic. But the fact is, we need a middle. We cannot be a head or tail, each chasing the other. And I think that is why uh, when you talk about online culture, I find that it allows us to express so quickly, but where is deflection? And I can express my criticism of you, but can I take that criticism? That's because I I don't coexist with you in the physical world. It's allowing me to build silos and my silos are now becoming more and more real or they're being amplified. And uh, I miss the India of my childhood, uh, where uh, I assume we were a younger democracy but we had a greater celebration of people and cultures. And never once did I eat food just made from my home, right? We squabbled over what people brought, we uh, swapped different we ate food. We partake of every festival there's not a single day that i remember that if there was a festival from another community we didn't make tweet meat from that community or food from that community and today increasingly uh, there is a great food culture and an instagram culture around food photography but we have very little ability to break bread with each other so I'm, I'm saying that you know these ironies are there if we just put things in perspective and if we just put an artistic timeline in place all you need to see is that First, we didn't talk that much about food and sharing, it became about the aesthetics of food and today we don't talk about nutrition and poverty and loss and uh, famines and all of that is lost. That's because we're not sitting down and talking and sharing and uh, doing humble things and I think that is what our political culture is also now about.
0: Also, I think when you were saying then this thought was coming in the head that uh how one side the internet and everything is so connected but on the other side we are just becoming so isolated so that the the connection is fading away and uh, social media also becomes like a place wherein you can go and say anything because you are not seeing the person, you are not seeing the emotion of your words, what is the impact that what I am like writing about Anandana is happening on Anandana and that I think becomes like a shield I genuinely feel if you bring together the two people who are maybe abusing or fighting and make them sit face to face, their language, their emotion, everything will change. And uh, because you have said something which is not uh, very healthy to a friend also on social media, you will avoid meeting in person. So it further creates more disconnection as we uh, keep doing it on social media. So so yeah, that's true. How do we use this decrease the growing intolerance that we are seeing across and not just in India but across the world we see that like in US over there just now there's a massive intolerance wave that we see over there In many other countries how do we see this like in the, in the times of growing intolerance how do we see this medium to bridge the gap to connect more hearts
2: so my uh, response to your question actually uh, would involve revisiting something that I've mentioned in passing earlier, which is media literacy and digital literacy. I think that intolerance is um, not just promoted, but protected by the fact that we do not necessarily have the means to cope with encounter fake news, misinformation, disinformation. These are not just, you know, terms of a new cyber culture, but are actually genuine Problems that we need to solve if we want to address issues of intolerance in our real lives. It is extremely easy to not just fan differences, but also to amplify misgivings. And somewhere when we talk of intolerance or the rising intolerance globally, we're really looking at people not finding the right for us to be able to express their misgivings and their fears. Why do we have like a resurgence of uh, hypernationalism globally? Why is it that people are more and more insecure? The fact is that there is so much disruptive change And we don't necessarily have mechanisms to cope and reflect on it Uh, we also do not uh, have i think uh, patience for people who disagree with us and that's because i think we've reached a stage in social development where several of us don't have to think of hunger several of us don't have to think of basic needs and uh, we are looking at other kinds of actualization and in that uh, there is Nothing that the democratic apparatus does for us. When you talk of truth and reconciliation as uh, an important element of your work, prakhar uh, I think of how in a country that has seen uh, communal violence, that has seen you know so many losses of lives because of intolerance, we don't have that format as a go-to format even in our schools, in our textbooks, uh, or even in our everyday lives. And I think that it's very important for us to first start with looking at what is it in the virtual that is disruptive in a good way, and what is, is um, perhaps destructive and is likely to impact the real world. And for that, we need to have more conversation, go beyond jargon, and uh, sometimes even give up those tools in some places. Today, we can't conceive of any kind of access without thinking of the digital or thinking of social media. Bureaucrats now have Twitter accounts. Leaders are able to sort of win, not just narrative wars, but also literal wars by virtue of what they're able to tweet. There is unnecessary amplification. The question is, is that person listening to the uh, local community that voted them into power? How can accountability be an important component of the virtual cycle? And can we say that the virtual needs to reconnect with the real? All of these are important questions, and I think We've all sort of grown into cyborgs. The mobile phone is a prosthetic. I think it's an extension of at least my hand. It's perpetually attached to me and thinking, reading, mediating the world through it. And there are times when I miss obvious realities. And uh, on the other hand, I think the next generation has lost its head, figuratively speaking, because it's all about the screen. Their virtual lives are more important than real lives. And some of it has to do with discontent, lack of livelihood, lack of innovation, lack of creativity in how we teach and talk of subjects and issues and that's where i think we need to keep doing work in the offline not necessarily work that is going to be replicated or spoken of or become viral but work withstand and i finally feel that at the end of the day there is greater intolerance because those who did good work did not think of who will come next they thought of future generations they thought of future audiences but they did not think of who is going to assume the mantle when they leave Thinking of succession is so important. It's important for artists as well. It's important for them to think that when I'm done with my work, who is going to carry forward the steam or, or use the tools that I used? And uh, it's beyond, uh, you know, being a mentor. I think it's actively seeking people, investing in them and saying that you are going to carry through this kind of language or this kind of protest art or this kind of collectivist art. So I think these are the ways in which I feel that we can also develop policy around it, make it more about not just the now but also the tomorrow. And uh, so in summary, developing literacies around the virtual and digital cultures, thinking about the present uh, in a more inclusive manner, recognizing that we need to invest in Reconnecting to the real and thinking of succession. Thinking not just of imagining what lies ahead, but identifying people uh, who and organizations that can carry your work forward. So I think that becomes very important. It's very difficult, it's an onerous task, and I think a individual cannot do it, but uh, perhaps people can come together and form, you know, a brain trust or at least a protocol or, uh, you know, a compendium of practices Uh, and art can be a memento of that art can be a format through which you remember it
0: Thank you so much Anandana for the amazing conversation and I think uh, there are many important points that you touched upon and I think one important thing that I am taking away is this whole idea of keep planting seeds because it's a lifelong work and we have to continue doing what we can do and I think in that entire thing art becomes an amazing medium to acknowledge what's inside us maybe it will not resolve everything but I think the first step to acknowledge the pain that we hold and then opening it up. So indeed, I think the growth come, will come from unlearning the old, as much as it will come from learning the new things. Let's hope that uh, as we go ahead, more people get access to art and engage in different ways, different forms, different ways. So thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast.
2: It was my pleasure, and I, I'm grateful that I was part of this conversation. I think it's very interesting to keep talking and uh, whether it is through art and today it's been the medium of sound and video and sometimes it could just be little notes that we make and share with people around us so thank you so much because I think that that's what's important if you can spark the conversation so much can come of it so I'm grateful
0: stay tuned for a more meaningful conversation on democracy rules the voice of 1.4 billion people learning and unlearning together Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hubhopper or wherever you are currently listening. This podcast is generously supported by the US Mission India. The opinions, findings and conclusions stated in the episode are those of the guests and speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the US Department of State.